welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations and everything in between. And I'm Joe and I don't know why I'm doing it that way. (laughs) And I'm Bretta. (laughs) And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Tay territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sowetmakulu. And today's text, High School Musical, the Musical, the Series, takes place primarily in Salt Lake City, the traditional lands of the Eastern Shoshone and Goshute people. Joe? Yes. Joe? Yes. How much did you know about High School Musical before you watched High School Musical, the Musical, the Series? All right. So, full confession I have seen the original film. And I have mm-hmm. not watched High School Musical 2 or 3. Okay. I'm assuming you have seen all three? I've seen all three. Absolutely. Okay. Yes, I have. In fact, it's one of the last things I remember doing. So we cut the cable cord really early. Like, mm-hmm. I think maybe 2008, we went to online only. Right. And one of the last things I remember telling Dev that we couldn't cancel cable. We had to wait one more month because... High School Musical 2 was going to premiere on the Family Channel, and I didn't want to miss it. So, yeah. (laughs) That is the most on-brand Brenna thing possibly ever. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I love this stuff. I really do. I find it very gentle and pleasing. And I think what I like best about High School Musical, the musical, the series, is um, it's almost like, you know how when we talked about a week away, Mm -hmm. I was complaining that it felt out of time, out of step with time. Like, it was too early 2000s in its its ethos, and it Mm -hmm. didn't make any sense. What I like about High School Musical, the musical, the series, is that it's really applied kind of like, almost like a Gen Z piss taking to the high school musical franchise in a way that is still really loving and like fun to watch i really like it as an update like i think it's a lot of fun yeah uh i was actually really taken aback at how much i ended up coming around to the series and i'm not gonna lie folks so full caveat brenna and i have seen the first three episodes of season two and then of course the entirety of season one and I think one of the things that really surprised me was that I did come around to it, but it took me a good five episodes from that first season to catch on to the tone of this series, Mm. because I couldn't figure out if it was serious or if it was kind of campy or if it was a little bit meta like it it's not as blatantly self-aware as something like Saved by the Bell was when we recently Mm -hmm. covered that but it's not so fake and earnest in the way that A Week Away was. Yeah it's definitely it definitely is playing with the tropes of its own genre but from a position of loving those tropes if that Mm -hmm. makes sense like it's not trying to mock the original series of movies like Everybody involved in putting on this musical is pretty committed to like the sort of nostalgia and cheesiness of the originals. Mm-hmm. But they actually read like contemporary modern teenagers and they roll their eyes at things and they're sarcastic about things. And one of the things that I liked best about it is the way the teachers are sort of the figure of fun, right? Like the teachers are kind of being 
mocked more than any sort of archetype of a student is in a way that mm-hmm. I really appreciated. Yeah, there, there's almost mean-spirited is way too harsh a word, but the teachers are almost more caricatures, whereas the students feel earnest and real and slightly lived in. They're still very tropey, like we're still very much aware of who all of these characters are, what their arcs are going to be, what their struggles are going to be, but that doesn't take anything away from our enjoyment, particularly as we increasingly start to fall in love with them and get really sucked into their journeys. And Mm -hmm. like, I'm not gonna lie, I felt a lot of feels as we hit the season one finale and like people were declaring their love for each other and having successes, like definitely some welling up of tears. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of that right blend of funny and emotional. I just, I think it's a really successful, I'm glad they stuck with it. I agree with you that the first five-ish episodes, it takes some time to warm up to what the show's trying to do mm-hmm. when it comes to sort of tone and outlook, but it's worth it. And I know that's, I think, one of the great things is that the payoff really is worth it because we do become emotionally invested in the characters. And they walk a fine line, I think, between being archetypes, right? Like, Ricky is a Troy. That's why he plays mm-hmm. Troy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. Nina is a Gabriella. That's why she plays Gabriella. And yet simultaneously, particularly as the season goes on, and as the outcomes aren't exactly what each of those characters would expect from their film analog, mm-hmm. um, we get to play with those types quite a bit in a way that I think is really effective. Yeah. Before we go too, too much further, we should probably explain what this whole thing is about. So folks, if you don't know, this is a TV show that airs on Disney Plus, and it was created by Tim Fetterly. And it's classified as a drama musical mockumentary because it's adopting the direct address to the camera interview style that we see. And of course, we we don't actually know if there's a documentary being made about any of these people. It's just the format they've adopted. But Mm -hmm. Brenna, why don't you try to, I guess, run us through what this plot is all about? Okay, so the premise, the sort of bit is that we are actually at East High and that is the actual school where the high school musical films were filmed in Salt Lake City. And so these kids have kind of grown up in the legacy of this film, and they have varying feelings about that legacy. And the institution, like the high school as a whole, has varying feelings about the legacy. Mm-hmm. A former, well, she tells them she was a background cast member in right. High School Musical, Miss Jen. And she's hired as the new drama teacher. And the only thing she wants in life is to stage High School Musical, the musical, at the school. And this is where you sort of see that, like, Miss Jen is the ridiculous figure in this narrative, right? Like, she's this washed-up wannabe actress who is now a drama teacher, and she's trying to relive her dreams through the kids, and the kids are kind of just along for the ride. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we should take note, because it is so obvious that I was happy they actually reference it in one episode late in the game. This woman, so the actress is Kate Reindeers. She is the spitting image and also vocally very, very similar to Kristen Chenoweth. So I was happy that they acknowledge the wicked reference later in the series because I was like, you couldn't have cast this woman and not realize that you are doing a Kristen Chenoweth doppelganger. (laughs) 
Yes. And in fact, I believe she's been Kristen Chenoweth's understudy on Broadway more than Makes once, sense. if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And she is. She is like a wild doppelganger to the point where you're watching it and you know intellectually that mm-hmm. she isn't yes. Kristen Chenoweth. And yet you regularly just forget and uh-huh. just think you're watching Kristen Chenoweth, especially if you're not looking directly at the screen. Yeah. And she has all the same sort of vocal affectations. And in general, that kind of Broadway theater geek in joke, in community humor is the lifeblood of the show. Like this is in many ways, I think a TV show for uh, drama geeks and retired drama geeks. Like there's a lot about, you know, the act of putting on a musical and the sort of heightened tensions and the heightened feelings of drama that Mm -hmm. emerge. And at the center of that, of course, we have our love story between Nini and Ricky. Nini is playing Gabriella and Ricky is playing Troy. They have broken up at the beginning of the series. And Nini is now seeing, oh, I can't remember his name. EJ. EJ. That's right. She's now seeing EJ. And obviously, Nini and Ricky are meant to be endgame. And so that's what we're watching unfold on the screen. Except as Joe texted me last night, it's two people in our late 30s really enjoying (laughs) this drama. It's amazing how much the show's impact is changed by the real life drama of the characters involved. Because we should say for context, I watched the series when it first came out, because this is like Brenna Katnip. And Joe is catching up to it now. And Nini is played by Olivia Rodrigo. Mm -hmm. And Ricky is played by Joshua Bassett. And as was explained to me in a reels that I watched. (laughs) Boo. (laughs) On Instagram. Um, these are the two main characters of the whole driver's license, like a drama. I got my driver's license last week, just like we always talked about. Cause you were so excited for me to finally drive up to your house. But today I drove through the suburbs, crying cause you weren't around. Probably with that blonde girl. Mm-hmm. And they are broken up in real life, and they are very ugly broken up in real life. Yeah. And it really does impact how you read the romance when you watch season two, or in your case, when you watch season one. Yeah, to to the point where I found that I could almost not even enjoy their final episodes in season one, because that's really where the romance culminates. And mm-hmm. the problem is, is that they do have good chemistry. I would actually argue that Joshua Bassett has good chemistry with a lot of the female characters on the show. He would have good chemistry with a mop if he was dancing with a mop. Like, he's just a very charismatic young man. (laughs) It's surprising, though, because he's, yeah, he's a bit of an unusual figure, like this unruly hair. He's very skinny Mm -hmm. and kind of tall. And yet, yeah, like, you see him interact with Olivia Rodrigo, as well as Sophia Wiley, who plays Gina, who is initially presented as the foil, the female foil, to EJ. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of, like, these two figures are going to try to break up the Gabrielle and Troy romance on the show. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I liked about season one is how that actually doesn't come to play and it becomes far more interesting and complicated because they're not just casting these two kids as villains. But yeah. it is difficult to watch Nini and Ricky coming together knowing that off-screen 
these two people hate each other. And then in season two, <laughs> to have these characters never interact unless it's through a screen. Because clearly these two actors cannot be in the same room together anymore. Yeah, so at the end of season one, we find out that Nini has been accepted to a very prestigious drama program, but it's a boarding program. She's going to have to leave East High mm -hmm. and move away to Denver. So in season two, um, all of the love scene stuff between them is like missed connections yeah. or like a FaceTime or not being able to reach each other on the phone. It's clear that they're trying to direct around a pretty <laughs> toxic mm -hmm. relationship dynamic. Yeah, I'm going to be very interested to see how this unfolds throughout the rest of the season because I don't think that they can keep them apart. But I'm also intrigued to see, like, I mean, they are professional actors. This is their job. Mm -hmm. They are being paid for it. So hypothetically, they will have to overcome this. But the reality is, is that, yes, Olivia Rodrigo has gone on SNL and she has graced the cover of Billboard magazine for a single mm -hmm. in which she basically says, hey, buddy, you dumped me so you could date that girl from that Work It Netflix movie. And it's, ooh, it's the kind of drama I don't enjoy to accompany my media because it's honestly taking me out of the fantasy of the show. Yeah, I can see that. I think the good news for the show itself is I actually think they could wrap up the Nini-Ricky relationship. And there are still a lot of compelling romances that have developed over the course of the series. Yes. Um, we have Big Red and Ashlyn as a partnership that I really enjoy watching. We have oh, Seb and Carlos. It's everything. I mean, Seb and Carlos <laughs> are fine, whatever. I mean, I, I like seeing out queer youth, but honestly, yeah. Ashlyn is everything. Ashlyn and She's Gina so are my favorites, and I love them dearly, and nothing can happen to them. And the nice thing about Nini being kind of written to the out. side, she's not being written out, but she's been written to the side. <laughs> she might as well be. Yeah. Is that Ashlyn and Courtney and Gina, the relationship between the three of them becomes more pronounced in the second series, and we mm -hmm. get more screen time with three honestly more interesting oh, female yes. characters. And better actors and maybe better singers. <gasps> oh, man, he went there. I will say there's something really interesting happening with Ashlyn's character in the second season. And I mm -hmm. don't want to give away, I don't want to give away the premise of the third episode. Joe and I got screeners of only the first three episodes. I was like, only three? No, but I'll have to watch the rest with all you poor people. Um, but <laughs> wow, the privilege. <laughs> I get That's one screener with my name embossed in it and it's over. <laughs> but uh in the third episode um which is the valentine's day special well it's the valentine's day episode there emerges this discourse around ashlyn and what's interesting to me about a show that's very comfortable with having out queer characters right and mm -hmm. different family dynamics and talking about sort of difference and embracing difference um ashlyn's fat and there's a story that emerges in the third episode of season two that Ashlyn doesn't feel comfortable 
in sort of taking on a lead role. She doesn't look like a lead actress, but mm -hmm. no one can ever bring themselves to say fat. No. Or even to, to discuss that it's about her body at all. So mm -hmm. it ends up being this weird like conversation about like her confidence when it's not about her confidence. It's no. about the fact that she's she's a heavier actress. She's fatter than the other kids. Um, and I found that really interesting because to me, it's just interesting what is still a taboo or a line we won't cross or, or a place mm -hmm. where people clearly feel uncomfortable, a place where you might wonder what the voices are in the writer's room who are writing those scenes who can't bring themselves to say the word fat. Yeah. Totally fascinated by that because I love Ashlyn. She's, I think, my favorite character. And I oh, love yeah. seeing her blossom in season two. And I really want her to be able to own her own truth. And I'm mm -hmm. like, what are you guys doing in the writer's room with this poor young woman? I've also been interested to see how they do and don't broach certain subjects. Because there's also absolutely zero racism or acknowledgement <laughs> of race. <laughs> yes. Yes. Despite the fact that the cast is incredibly diverse. Like there is a mention, I think Carlos says at one point, I'm a gay Mexican. This is the only pitch that I can deliver things at. And he's like basically hysterical. And I thought, yeah. oh, okay, this is a choice. Yeah. I don't know that I love it, but okay. It's very much um, the Benetton ad approach to race that mm -hmm. Disney has has taken for as long as it's been willing to not talk about, but depict race, basically, which is like, we will make a perfectly, ideally, like, diverse cast, yes. and then we will never, never let ever, them talk no. about it, mm -hmm. ever. No. <laughs> so I don't love it, but I'm far more tolerant of it because I kind of feel like it falls into the high school musical fantasy mm. umbrella where mm -hmm. part of this is that we all are in this together and everything will be okay. And part of that is because the difference doesn't matter. We're all just going to get through it. And in some ways, I like that idealistic, slightly naive, slightly utopian vision. But I also think that it kind of does a disservice to the realities of the young audience who is presumably being cater to with the show like mm -hmm. i would love for people to be able to watch this and say oh my god that's what i'm going to get when i get to high school but that's just also not real and i don't yeah i don't know like it, i'm struggling to balance between the fantasy escapism of the series and the fact that it really refuses to acknowledge what real life is like <laughs> yeah i'm sucking the fun out of everything is what i'm saying <laughs> no it's okay because you can't watch this show and not contrast it or compare it in your head to something like Glee, right? Like it's inviting that conversation. Mm. And I think, you know, something that made Glee turn so mean-spirited at the end of season maybe two. Okay. Actually, a very similar dynamic. In Glee in the first season, the, the teachers were like the figures of fun, right? Like they right. were the ridiculous figures. And it turns into a show about you know, ridiculous students in, in large part. Mm -hmm. They get broader, they get more extreme, and they get less sympathetic mm. as the series goes on. And High School Musical is really trying to not do that, or High School right. Musical, the musical, the series, is trying really hard not to do that. <laughs> but the, the flip side is that you're right. It's not real life. It's really not real life. I mean, I think about Ricky's parents, divorcing and mm -hmm. you know he's going through this emotional experience of divorce 
Except that it's also, like, in many ways picture perfect with his impossibly handsome father. And, like, like, they're going to downsize to an apartment. And yet there doesn't seem to be any actual material change in Ricky's life circumstances as a result. Mm -hmm. It happens in between episodes. We don't even see the move. There's no talk about (laughs) financial implications of this. I mean, we should be clear to folks who haven't seen this. The show is heavily ridiculous in large sections like there's one part where two teachers accidentally burn down the stage at the school not only are they not fired or penalized in apparently any real fashion but they're able to pick up and move the show to a derelict building like a former stage that's kind of fallen into disrepair and then in the next episode be like oh this doesn't quite work for us we're gonna go back and stage it in the gym at the high school yeah After they, like, basically renovate the theater for an episode. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it is patently ridiculous in that way. And you'll have to go along with it if you're going to enjoy the show at all. But at the same time, any kind of critical discussion about the series needs to acknowledge all of these fantastical escapism elements. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And where there's, like, clear and obvious gaps. And it's really interesting to see a Disney series that is so happy to have things like Meanie has two moms, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's really comfortable with it's really comfortable with difference where difference can be easily subsumed into existing narratives, and right. it's really not going to touch difference that can't. And I think that's ultimately the dividing line, right? Right. Nini's moms are okay. Seb and Carlos are okay because they fit into existing mm-hmm. family dynamics and high school relationships. And actually confronting issues of race or letting Ashlyn say the word fat, don't. Mm-hmm. And so they don't. But also, Brenna, can I ask you a question that you don't have an answer for because you don't work for Disney Plus? <laughs> sure. <laughs> what about Love Victor is more offensive and adult? than any of the queer relationships showed on this Disney Plus show. Because let's not forget, folks, Love, Victor, which we're going to be covering next month, season two, when it returns, it is on Hulu, which is considered Mm -hmm. the more adult place for content, for Disney content. And yet this show, which has two very pronounced queer couples, minimum, Mm -hmm. is apparently still fine. And I don't understand the distinction. I mean... I don't have an answer, but I think it's an interesting question. You know, we talked when we talked about Love, Victor, about how it was very clearly made for Disney. It mm-hmm. wasn't a good fit on Hulu. It didn't make sense to nope. set people up for the expectation of a Hulu-style approach to relationship dynamics and then give them a Disney show. Mm-hmm. I wonder, too, about just the power of a legacy, right? The fact that this is high school musical right. means that it can potentially get away with more and i actually think that's one thing to commend the show for is that it it seems to be trying to fix some of the problems in the original high school musical series so Hmm. one of the things that is often discussed in high school musical is the use of queer coding but lack of explicitly queer characters and so the the famous example is um i can't even remember his name but he's he's sharpay's sidekick yeah, you're thinking of Ryan. Yes, Ryan, who is not gay, but is obviously gay. Mm-hmm. And that has been a major criticism of, of that series. When you see how uncomfortable the Disney of that era was with 
queerness as an explicit, right? Mm -hmm. And then, so you look at a series like this and it's obviously trying explicitly to undo that harm Mm -hmm. to a certain extent because it's been so vocally criticized for it. But the flip side of that, of course, is there are other harms, right? There are other absences in the narrative that don't get dealt with and and don't get dealt with here too. I have always wondered, and I did a bunch of Googling and found nothing very satisfying. I've always wondered about the overlap between Mormonism and High School Musical. Mm, Yeah, because this show is very explicitly set in Salt Lake City and they talk about it. and. There's also only really one character who mentions God, and that's Courtney, and that's in her relationship not to religion, but to singing in the church. Yes, yes, exactly. Which is such an interesting echo to how Glee deals with, like, having a Black character but never actually broaching Blackness Mm -hmm. and community in the first season. It's like, oh, it's a gospel church, you know, right? And they do the same thing in here. (laughs) You mean like Courtney and how she doesn't have a house or a family? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Apparently Courtney just magically appears every day and shows up at school and then now gets a job. I mean, I I think you're right. I do think particularly in the second season, they are actively trying to say, okay, we're going to address some issues of money. We're going to address some issues of independence and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the show has actually gotten more complicated in the second season because it is daring to break away from the safety of the formula and particularly Mm -hmm. like the high school musical of it all. But Mm -hmm. it's tricky. And I'm sorry, I cut you off because you were about to say more. No, it's really, it's sort of an open question. And especially to anybody in our audience with more familiarity with sort of like Mormonism and culture in Utah. I'm just, I'm really interested in the choice to be set in Salt Lake City and the obvious sort of um, safeness mm-hmm. of the original High School Musical series for that kind of audience. And I'm just wondering what the overlap is, if there is any. I just find it really fascinating because I think most people globally, when they hear the phrase Salt Lake City, they think of one thing. Yeah. And it's not High School Musical. <laughs> no. That's maybe the second thing. That's maybe the second thing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer to it. It's just something that that plagues me when I think about it. And I don't know enough. And there's nothing seems to be written about it. I was expecting some like lengthy blog post, like teasing out all the connections and I found nothing. So well, okay, so challenge to listeners, if you have something that you can recommend to us, or if there truly is nothing out there, who wants to take up this mantle and get to work? Mm -hmm. Yes, please. And then send it to us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting because the more you tease away at certain things, the more the whole show kind of starts to unravel. And again, I don't want to be heavily critical of this because I do want to laud it for a lot of the things it's doing well, particularly, you know, the the emotional development of a fairly large cast, all things considered. But it is weird when you start to look at things like, okay, so it's set in Salt Lake City, Mormonism, but religion that isn't really addressed. But also the fact that there's no sexuality in this show, despite the fact that everyone is involved in romantic triangles. Like EJ is the type of character that in any other text would be talking about having sex with Nini, or she would have done something with him while she went away while she was on this break with Ricky, and that would have been more of a defining component. But in this series, literally no one has sex. No one thinks about their bodies in that regard. 
people want relationships and they may be smooch, but more often than not, it's I've got feelings for you and I'm going to sing them on a ukulele. <laughs> That's not a metaphor. That's what happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that's sort of maybe what I'm getting at when I talk about like the safeness of yes. it and does that playing into its setting in Salt Lake City, like is there a whole bunch of coding going on that Joe and I don't get being heathen Canadians that we are? Like <laughs> is there some whole thing that all of our American listeners are like, um, it's really obvious what's wrong with you that we're not getting? Because it's right. possible, Joe. Would not be the first time. Oh, do Canadians not understand the jalapeno and the uh, Parmesan reference? Yeah, that's all about Mormonism at the piece of place. <laughs> you never know, Joe. It you would never not know. be the first time. <laughs> <sighs> so, Berna, I think maybe we can end our discussion of High School Musical, the musical, the series there. But do you want to play a little bit of YA bingo? Why a bingo the game the game board? <laughs> <laughs> I think that we should call this episode, by the way. This is from Devin. He he said that we should call this episode High School Musical, the musical, the series, the podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. It's a little lengthy, but I love it. <laughs> okay. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay, so here's what I have. I have coincidental classes because whatever scene they're working on in the musical is usually directly related to whatever's going on in their lives of course in yes. the rare episodes where they actually rehearse the musical which oh. is surprisingly or minor. like do you like the fact that they are in a school the entire time but particularly after thanksgiving we literally never see another student <laughs> no <laughs> I know, I know, except that they all come out to the musical. Mm -hmm. By the way, having been in musicals in my life in high school, uh, that many people do not come to the musical. No. Oh, sadly, no. When they said, oh, that theater that, you know, is on the verge of being demolished, but we can move there and stage the show. And then they talk about how there's 500 seats. I thought, oh, cool. <laughs> have fun performing to 400 empty seats. Empty side notes. Uh, good times okay definitely holiday climax this series has never seen a holiday it didn't make into a special episode except where's the prom episode that's what i want to know <laughs> not a holiday joe <laughs> um houseborn because all the houses are really beautiful but especially ricky's house that they have to sell i really love his like basically master suite bedroom setup mm-hmm mm-hmm I will say there's class hidden into weird little elements, like the fact that Big Red lives in the basement of his house. Okay, mm -hmm. so you live in a house big enough to have a basement, but also is this a choice or is it that there aren't enough bedrooms in this house that he has to live down there? I have mm -hmm. questions. It's never discussed. That's no. the problem. Good friendships, because I actually really love the friendship between Ricky and Big Red, and I love I love the way Ashlyn and the other girls are getting closer. So mm -hmm. I'm going to give some credit to that. Yeah. Um, and musicality, obviously, it's a musical TV series. So obviously musicality. <laughs> just, a, just a little bit, just a touch, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's tricky, right? Because I feel like sometimes the musicality is also used for the purposes of montage, like musical set Oh, pieces. that's a good point. 
in some really convincing ways. Like I, I do love how almost ostentatious the second season has been with the staging of some of its musical sequences. Ah, the audition sequence. Can we talk about how great the audition sequence is? Mm -hmm. Like it's really good. Yeah. So in the second season, we didn't talk about this, but they're staging um, Beauty and the Beast. And they have this lengthy audition sequence that's built around the opening song of the musical. Everybody's basically singing parts of it, and it's kind of montaged together. Mm -hmm. But simultaneously, we're learning about different characters, like that clearly spy foil character who has arrived. We learn how evil she is through the context of this montage. It's very well done and very catchy. I had that song stuck in my head for three days. Yeah, it is really good. And of course, uh, I would be remiss not to acknowledge the fantastic one-take musical number that opens season two. Oh, yes. I guess they're launching the Instagram account for the musical. and That video is way too long for Instagram, by the way, but go 100%, on. 100%, <laughs> yes. But it is a great, great musical number, and everybody gets exciting things to do. And then, of course, you cap it off with a, a nice little joke that, oops, we weren't recording. Ha <laughs> ha. Yes. Yeah, it's very good. It's very well done. I think we could probably say perfect date is in play for pretty much any of these. And then I also have stunt casting because we do have Lucas Grabeel showing up to reprise his role as Ryan in Miss Jen's fantasy. Oh, yeah, that's right. And also um, in season two, if you're a particular kind of dance and music nerd Derek Huff showing up as the former love interest Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I don't know that I have much else we need a square Joe next time we revamp the board we need a square for real life drama (laughs) I don't know how often we would get to play that particular piece but yeah but when we did I would get to say real life drama and it would be (laughs) worth it for those days I see okay okay (laughs) Yeah, we we might have to revamp this board a little bit because it's still it's a dead. I still blame listener Ryzeifen for demanding that we add an additional line to the board because ever since we've done that, I think we've I don't think we've won one. since that happened. <laughs> we had the one in Vampire Diaries that we failed to acknowledge until after the fact. But yes, <laughs> yeah, fair uh, point. So, um, sadly, not a bingo in this case. Not a bingo. All right, so Brenna, where are we? Where are we headed next? Oh my goodness, great question. So, uh, our next episode is a little bit controversial, but mm. we're going to talk about Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. Uh, this, much like our Harry Potter episodes, we're going to encourage you to steal the book. Do not right. purchase it. Uh, anywhere because we really are going to spend some time talking about the art and the artist I suspect next Mm -hmm. day so that's what's up next and then and then in two weeks we've actually got our next episode of book club and because we are into pride month we're going to be talking about Lev Rosen's camp yes I'm so excited about this because I this is not an author I know this is not a text I know but it looks super fun and I'm excited Remember, listeners, uh, as Joe and I have pleaded our ignorance on the case of camps, we're hoping that you'll write to us not just with your read-along of camp, although we hope you do that, but also if you would share your experiences of camp, particularly your young adult, teenage, coming-of-age experiences of camp, that would be very helpful for us in framing up the episode, so please do that. Mm-hmm. 
If you wanted to send something like that to us, of course, you might like to use our email, which is hkhspod at gmail.com. But if it's something shorter, you can find us on the Twitter at hkhspod. Joe, if they're looking for you specifically, how do they find you? I can be reached at B stole my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray, that's Gray with an A. I will be watching out this whole season, so feel free to tweet me with further High School Musical thoughts as you delve them. Joe, do you think you're going to finish the season? Uh, I'm tempted to. I think part of this is that I like that it's being released weekly, if only because this was a lot of High School Musical the Musical the series in a small amount of time. And I think it might play a little bit better when I'm not trying to crash course it. Yeah, definitely. I definitely had the advantage of watching this when it was coming out live. All right. So folks, you've got your homework. You've got your book club. You know that uh, we want you reading along with us. Please do get in touch. And, you know, as they say, Joe, we're all in this together. Oh, gosh. Wildcats. Wildcats. What is this, our exit? Now we're just not even going to do the (laughs) regular show thing. (laughs) We're just going to yell Wildcats. (laughs) Ah, Fine. Well, I'll see you on the screen. (laughs) 